Before we continue with our service, I just want to say thanks to all of our volunteers, the folks who help with the worship team, both up here, out there, in a dark hole back there. Um, We also are blessed to have so many of you help out with it, the children's ministry and and care and provide teaching and and giving some foundational truth there. And I do want to give a little bit of word of encouragement, but also maybe prodding here that we always need more help. This church lives and thrives because of volunteers, and, and in particular, like our kids' ministry is is needing some some folks to help out with that. So if 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 you've never had kids, there's a place for you there too. And maybe you'll go there and you'll leave thinking, "I never want to have kids," <laughs> or maybe you'll go thinking, "This is awesome. I I've never thought this would be a place where God would have me serve." and and uh, I, I want to speak as someone who has plenty of kids. I have been blessed to have uh, surrogate grandparents to my kids who have taught them in those, those, those Sunday school, those uh, church times during the service. I, my kids have been blessed to have kind of older brothers and sisters as well who have, who have done that. So I, if you wouldn't mind considering thinking, where might God have me? serve and minister here in Midland. But then I also want to encourage you, perhaps, even though it might not be on your mind, perhaps God might have you bringing the gospel to the littlest, to the the ones who are often forgotten. And so, so something to consider. Now, as I'm thinking about myself being a young kid, I recall... When I was in elementary school and some sort of time uh, in a history class being told the United States of America is a land of hope, right? It's why people would, would, would migrate, immigrate, uh, come here to the United States. They had hopes, they had dreams, and the, the belief was if we could just get to the States, if we could just get to America, our hopes would come true. Now today as we, we look around our country, our, where we live, we might think, it doesn't seem to be full of hope. If anything, it seems kind of hopeless. And we live in a culture now that according to studies and statistics, we, we are a hopeless nation. We, we just drift around and we, we live in a culture that we can hide despair and hopelessness because we have endless resources of entertainment to distract us. Everybody's looking for hope. We need hope to live. It is key to to our life. And as we have been working through Micah, you could go through chapters 1 through 3 and think, it's hopeless. This is is a downer of a book. And so now as we come to chapter 4 of Micah, we have a little bit of a transition. I was joking with someone earlier today. I said there's a little bit of a transition But hope begins to dawn in chapter 4 of Micah. So I want to encourage you to flip over to Micah chapter 4. And before we look at the text here, I want to pray for us. But pray that we would understand as Christians, we have hope amidst hopeless situations. So let's go to the Lord who is our hope. Lord God, thank you. 
Thank you that in the midst of a dark time, in the midst of being under the authority, being under the influence of sin and evil and the depravity and the brokenness of this world, you met us there in the mess. You gave us hope. You continue to give us hope. Hope in situations that the world says are hopeless. We, the Christians, have hope. Because we have met hope. We have met Christ and he has changed us dramatically, Lord. And we are forever grateful. And and I pray, Lord, that you would remind us again as we come to your word this morning. For those of us who maybe feel like we are in a time of despair. Maybe you're experiencing a lot of discouragement. And and we're thinking it's hopeless and we're ready to throw up our hands. I pray that you would set our eyes again on you. Because we have a glorious hope ours and you are holding it and it is promised to us and if it's in your hands nothing can snatch it away from you and so you will give it to us in your time help us to experience the strength that your hope gives us because life is hard and if there is no hope it would be pointless but you have given us hope So let us come with hopeful hearts, singing with joy, knowing that this is not the be-all, end-all. We have a hope, and we look forward to that day. In Jesus' name, amen. Micah chapter 4, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 8. We'll stop, and then we'll go through the rest of the chapter in a little bit. Micah chapter 4 prophet says this, and it shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and it shall be lifted up above the hills and the people and the peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths for out of Zion shall co for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem he shall judge between many peoples he shall decide for strong nations far away and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks nations shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war any more but there they shall sit Every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the people walk, each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those who I have afflicted and the lame I will make the remnant and those who were cut off a strong nation and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, 
O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughters of Jerusalem. Church, when hopelessness and despair arise in your life, remember God's glorious hope for the latter days. As Christians, we live here, but we are citizens of another kingdom that is to come. It's already there, but it hasn't come yet. And so we need to remember God's glorious hope for the latter days. Biblical hope is not a wish. Biblical hope is not a wish. It is a firm assurance in the sovereign and mutable God to bring to completion all the things that he has promised. I'm not wishing upon a star. Thank you, Disney. That's pointless. I am wishing upon the one who has created the stars and so he can ordain all things to happen the way that he desires them to happen. This joyous, glorious time will come when? latter days, in a future not presently discernible, but one that is just as sure as the day we are living in right now, because we have a God who is omnipotent. We have a God who doesn't change his mind. We have a God who can work all things according to his desires. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. You think human beings can do anything to thwart his plan. That's not the God we find in the scriptures. Look at the hope that's in this passage. I, like I said, let's, let's enjoy it now because we got a couple of verses later and it comes back down a little bit again. But even in there, there's joy. Look at, what, look at what Micah has the privilege of declaring here. He says, the mountain of God will be lifted up. He's, he's talking in, in this like top, uh, topography uh, kind of picture here. Why? Because gods were often associated with mountains. Pagan gods would be associated with a mountain. If your mountain was bigger... You had a better God, at least that's how, how they deemed it. We experienced this when my family moved from the East Coast, right? We have the Appalachian Mountains, which they, I thought were big. And then we moved to Salt Lake City and they were like, your mountains are nothing. Look at what we got. Right? And they were, they were kind of saying this, like the mountain of God, there's going to be this, this change in the topography that the mountain of God is going to be lifted up. And he's saying that this God, our God is over all gods and all people will see this. That so much so that there'll be this uh, reversal of, of things. We already know from Micah that the people will be scattered. They'll be taken as captives, brought into exile. But in the later days, peoples from many nations will stream in the opposite direction of gravity. They will go up to the mountain of God, which is above all mountains. Isn't that awesome? I don't know about you, but like... I look forward to that. I can't wait for that to happen. There are certain passages in the Bible that talk about this that, that just resonate with my soul. And I just can't wait for that to happen. I want to look at a few of those. If you have a Bible, flip over to Psalm 117. 
If you want to memorize an entire chapter of a Bible, do this one. It's only two verses. <laughs> Praise the Lord, all nations, plural, not just the nation, the, all nations extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast Lord lo love towards us, and his faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Don't you hear an echo of that? I mean, this is penned long before Michael speaks these words, and he's, he's like, that, what, what was written in Psalm 117 is, is going to happen. Don't forget it. And then go to the very end, because he is also, in some ways, giving us a foretaste of what you see in Revelation chapter 7, in verses 9 and 10. Behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all the tribes of the peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. And Micah's saying, that's going to happen. What a glorious Reminder, the nations, plural, will be glad and they'll be inviting others. Come with me as we go up to the mountain of God because there we will not just hear his truth and, 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 and see him, but he will echo out through our lives and throughout all of the land. Don't you want that? In verse 3, we see that the sovereign king will execute perfect justice. In those latter days, he will reign over all the nations and he will usher in peace that will change everything. Can you imagine there being no war? I don't know if you read the headlines when you wake up in the morning, but I'm sure some of you know that and I thought this was interesting because on Saturday there was that, the meeting to talk about the, the trip to Israel. And I'm just like, man, I hope that this doesn't wreck that opportunity. Because it's not going smooth there this morning. And we are always raging, right? There, there, we, we look at war out there among the nations, but we, we war within ourselves. We war with brothers and sisters. We war within our families. Some of you are dreading a holidays because you're going to have to sit across the table from that. Fill in the relative's name. We are at war. Don't we look forward to a time when the weapons will be pounded into agricultural instruments, things, the tools that are used to provide life rather than take it? I yearn for those days. In just a few verses, he has expressed how the very character of God and who he is is going to flow forth from the land. He has promised that, that there's going to be peace on earth and the rain is, is, is going to also usher in, as you can see here in verse 4, prosperity. In verse 4, we see that the greedy land barons will be wiped away. And each person will have a vine and a fig tree. Now, I'm not a big fan of figs. Some of you love them. God bless you. 
but I am a fan of what the vine and the fig symbolize. They were prized for their fruit, but they were symbols of of peace and prosperity. Because to have an abundant crop of, of grapes or figs requires you to do some cultivating. And it's really hard to cultivate when you're always fighting. When your land is constantly being conquered and, and there's, there's all of this, this chaos. I've talked with my wife a couple times and said I would love to plant a vineyard. But I don't have the patience to wait for it to grow. Because I want to enjoy the fruit now. And what he's talking about is there will be a time when you will have the time to enjoy the fruits of all of your labor to such a way that you will be satisfied. What you see in verse 4 has more to do with your own heart than it has to do with the the fruit of the vine or the, the dates of the tree. He's talking about a time when the cravings of humanity will be transformed and you will find satisfaction in God. I want that. Do you? It's amazing. And then it says this words. The Lord has spoken. Whoa. What I think we forget is that the Lord's speaking is his doing. When he speaks it. It will happen. Look at how amazing that is. But it doesn't stop there. Take a look here at verse 6 and 7. The prophet says, In that day, speaking of the later days, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lamb and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. The lame I will make a remnant and those who were cast off a strong nation and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore, forever and ever and ever. What do you see here? You might feel broken. You might feel like you've been forgotten. God hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't cast you off he will gather you together and church if you're a christian he's already doing that you already are getting a taste of those latter days right here right now and so if you are grateful for what you are experiencing now in part just this like minute microscopic piece of it surely the days that are coming are going to be far greater doesn't your heart sing for that talks about establishing this secure fortress, this tower of the flock and, and the king and the, will reign over the daughters of, of Jerusalem. There's this king who is coming, who's going to usher this in. I love that a bunch of the songs we sang this morning were really Easter messages. You think you're getting ready for Christmas, and those of you who are already getting ready for Christmas, shame on you. Can we have some other holidays before Christmas? But the reality is, all of it points to the cross. All of it points to the resurrection. When when Christ 
is crucified. They nail a sign over his head that says he's king of the Jews. It wasn't wrong. It was just an incomplete message because he is the king of all nations. He's the king of all people. He is the promise that the Old Testament prophets long to see. They longed for a day when God would come with his king and he would usher in this glorious time and Jesus is it. He is the yes and amen to all of the promises of all of scripture. Oh, the glories to be experienced in those latter days. But they're for then. We experience it in part now, but, but those latter days are for then. We live now, Right? We live now in this world of, of a mess, of brokenness. We live now in the mess. I always appreciated the scriptures because they never sugarcoat the reality. They hold this, this glorious future for us. Oh, one day. Oh, I can't wait. But then it never says, forget about the reality. Take a look here at verses Nine through the first verse of chapter five. After holding this truth, Micah then declares these words of the Lord. Now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go Out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. The Lord will redeem you from the hands of your enemy. So he's still drawing. Stuff's going to happen. But but don't forget. Verse 11. Now many nations are assembled against you saying. Let her be defiled. Let our eyes gaze upon Zion. They do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan that he has gathered them as sheaves on the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion. For I will make your horn iron and I will make your hoofs bronze. You shall beat in pieces many people and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. In verse 1 of chapter 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. There's a hope, but the reality is we live in a world filled with pain, suffering, trials, disappointment. There's an enemy out there. It's real, and it is assembled against us, and it is battling us on all fronts. We live in a mess. We're still part of the mess. We're still broken as well. I I appreciate the the graphic descriptions of the book of Micah. In verses 9 and 10 here, he's describing the, 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 the pains of labor. I have never been in labor. But I have five children and I know it's no joke. In fact, I know a woman when she was wheeled into the hospital in labor with a child, you know, the nurses ask you, like, what's your pain level on 1 to 10? And this woman says, uh, I don't know, like a 3 or a 4. And the nurse says, a 3 or a 4? 
And she says, I know what's coming. I know that this is just the beginning of the pain. We live in a world where there's pain. I don't think we have to pretend like it doesn't exist, right? It, it, don't, don't diminish it. Don't turn it into something foolish. Let's be real about this reality that there's pain, there's suffering, there's glory then, but now we will be in travail. Now we will taste dispersion. Now we will experience exile. God knows what you're experiencing. In fact, he's sovereign over it and he's working in those things for his glory and your good in the mess now. In verse 10, we read, you shall go to Babylon. When Micah wrote those words, Babylon is not a superpower. It had no capacity to do such a conquest, yet God has already ordained for it to accomplish his purposes. Verse 10 happened. The Babylonians come in and they sack the city and they gather the people outside of the city, if you will, in camps to then set them up to bring them into dispersion. So they, are, they leave the city, they're in the open country, and then they're carried off to Babylon. God gives us this glimpse of glory, but then he gives us these verses to say to us, resolve yourself for the mess that you are living in until those days come. Christian, even you who, who have salvation, who have the, the spirit dwelling in you, even you who now have life, resolve yourself because you live now. Face the pain, face the struggle, face the difficulties now. This isn't just an Old Testament thing. Jesus' own words, Jesus says in John 15, verses 18 and 19, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, right, the fact that you're saved, he's saying, there's a, this is why this is happening. Because if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But it is that you're not of the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. You live in the now. So be encouraged. The world hates you. First Thessalonians, Paul writes to this church chapter 3 verses 2 and 4 we read these these words he says we sent timothy our brother and god's co-worker in the gospel of christ to establish and exhort you in your faith why do they need that that no one would be moved by these afflictions for you yourself know that we are destined for this now you will cry now you will experience pain. 
Now you are people in a foreign land. Now you will have enemies assembled against you because you are God's people. Now be prepared for labor and to toil and to fight. Now is not the latter days. Now you will experience the discipline of the Lord. Now you will experience the collateral damage of sin and the disease of it as it creeps over all of the earth. Now, yet there's hope. Because if you look at the second half of verse 10, you see these words. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hands of your enemy. Now we live in a messed up, painful world. But it is in this pain, in this suffering, that God has already met you. If you are a Christian, God has already met you. He's already given you some reprieve from it. I'm not saying that it's all wiped away and it's sunshine and rainbows now. But now you have a piece of it. Why? Because he met you here. When does God the Father send God the Son? Now. Not when your act was all cleaned up. Not when you were awesome and without sin. Because that day has yet to be. God sends his son into the mess to redeem us. Just like he said he would in verse 10 of chapter 4 of Micah. I will redeem you in that day. In the mess. I will meet you in your brokenness. I will gather you up then. We have a savior who understands pain and travail. We have a a savior who understands what it means to be tempted by sin far greater than any of us because he never succumbed to it. We have a savior who came into the mess and in fact took your mess upon himself so that you might be counted as sons and daughters, heirs to a glorious inheritance. Can you bring up that picture that I, that I, I told you I wasn't sure I was going to use it? So if you're in New York City, you can go to the UN building. And the UN has this garden area. And in those garden areas, you will find this statue. And on this statue, you will find scribed across it, verse 3 of Micah chapter 4. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and they shall... And their, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. That's pretty stirring. But all you got to do is look around and say, that hasn't happened yet. And I'm trying not to get political here. But regardless of your view of the UN or not, diplomacy has yet to bring peace on earth. What we need is a king. A king who will change us from the inside out. And if you are a believer, I keep trying to make this division because I I know there's people who aren't. But if you are a believer, we have hope amidst hopelessness. And and I'm being intentional on making that that split here because if you're not a believer, I want you to think, I I want that. Why don't I have that? Because it's only found when you have a king. When you have God's king. 
We can have hope amidst hopelessness. How do you face the difficulties? How do you deal with the the labor pains of the broken world that we live in? How do you face the daunting challenges of, of living in this messed up world? We deal with the difficulties of now with then. The hope for now is then. In those latter days, we persevere with joy now in the travails and trials of a mess up broken world by setting our eyes on that day that is already there. It hasn't been brought to us yet, but it's already there. When you are experiencing trials in your life and you're feeling despair or depressed or just just fed up with the world, what you need to do is you need to take your eyes off of yourself and the mess of the broken world. And you need to set your eyes on something that is far greater, far superior, far more glorious. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's good. It's good to take your eyes off of yourself because this is nothing. This is a moment. This is a vapor. And God has said, if you would just set your eyes on me, your entire continents can be radically transformed. We need to understand that the hope isn't found in the broken world. Hope comes from outside of the world. Don't be discouraged by your trials It's through many tribulations that we will enter the kingdom of God. You might say, well, pastor, what about all those people who are against us? What about all those people who are, you know, they mock Jesus and and they they throw mud in his face and they, they, you know, the world is against us. Look here and find hope in verse 12. I love this verse. This week I have been thinking about this verse over and over and over again. But do they not know the thoughts, excuse me, but they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They don't understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Why do I love that? Because I'm a bit of a Bible nerd. You might say, I still don't get it. You have this picture of the nations are raging against God. They want to get to Zion. They want to, you know, rip open the the curtain and peer into the supposed temple of God. And we're going to show the world that our God is better than him and all of these things. And Babylon does that. They they raise it to the ground. They, They march out with the golden tools and instruments. They do all of these things. It's almost like they they that God is trying to describe. They they think they've won. Here's where the nerdy Bible person comes out here. What you might not recall is that David bought the land that the temple is built on from a gentleman who was using it as a threshing floor. They think they're coming in victorious and God's saying they're walking right into the trap. They're gloating over all of these things. I will destroy them right where they think they can boast. We have hope because we have a king who sits upon the throne and is already working in glorious ways. 
Psalm 2 reminds us of this. Verses 1 through 6. Why do the nations rage? And the people plot in vain. The kings of the earth have set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed. You might say his Messiah, his king, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away the cords from them. We're going to show God that we are over him. Verse 4. He, God, who sits in the heavens, laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. They will speak, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God has already set his king on the hill. We have hope in hopeless situations because his king already reigns. When your hope wavers, don't shout, God, where are you? Set your eyes and say, why have I turned my gaze from your glory? Look what God is already doing. Look what he has already done. When you look at all of the promises of God's ancient people, you already have it, Christian. God dwells in you. His spirit is already in you working. You have access, full access to God. You're thinking, no, I don't. All you got to do is say, dear Lord, and guess who's listening? You have brothers and sisters from many nations. Look around this room. None of us were originally from Midland, Michigan. You might say, well, I was born here. Yeah, but your family's not really from here. God has gathered people from all nations, from all tribes. He's already doing it, and he's already done it in his church. We get glimpses of it. We have hope, hope, hope. We need it, and he has said, I've already given it to you, and its name is Jesus. In him, you find hope amidst hopeless situations. In him, you find hope When the world says there's no hope, in him you have a hope that far exceeds what you are saying to yourself. When you say it's hopeless, God says, no, it's not. Let me send you away with some words of a contemporary of Micah. The prophet Isaiah says these things in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 through 7. He says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. It was hopeless, but now hope has come. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff on his shoulder, the rods of his oppressor, you have broken us on the days of Midian. For every boot that is trampled, the warrior in the battle of tumult, every garment rolled up in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And you might say, when? When is that going to be? How is that going to happen? I don't see that. Where is that? 
probably the verse that many of us know. Verse six, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, it will be established and he will uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Lord has promised it. And as Christians, we already experience it in part. And if you're not a Christian, I pray that today you would say, I want that hope. How do I get it? And you would know it today. Come talk to me today. If you say it's hopeless, come talk to me today. I would love to introduce you to hope. Come talk to the elders. Come talk to the care teams that will be up here later today. Because I know that even as a Christian, there's sometimes we forget and we need a brother. We need a sister says, you know what? I'm going to walk this life with you and remind you that there is hope even in hopeless situations. Restoration is coming, but it has already dawned in our hearts because the hope has already filled our hearts. Let us find joy now but look forward to that day when the fullness of it will be ushered in restoration has come and it's found under the reign of God's good king the son who is born to us Emmanuel Jesus which by the way name means God delivers God saves let's pray to that king Lord God reign Reign in our lives. Conquer areas that are still filled with the mess of sin. Let your truth penetrate all of who we are so that we would find hope and joy even amidst the mess of the broken world that we still live in. Lord, forgive us when we have taken our eyes off of you. Forgive us when we think that the only hope of this world is found in this world. Let us come humbly. and Let us come with grateful hearts to know that this is not the be all end all. You have already established a far greater thing and we are reminded of that even in Jesus' own words where he says, I am going to prepare for you a place. If it was not so, I would not go. Help us to put our hope in the true hope, you. And that it strengthen us as we deal with the travails and the labor pains of living in this world. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we transition here to communion. While I speak here, 
you feel free to use this time to start peeling open those things. Hope is a glorious thing that we need. And that's why Christ came. Because we were removed from hope. Because by our sins we have set up barriers. By our sins we have shaken our fist at the king of the universe. Said I don't want you. But Christ comes. He comes with a covenant that is beautiful. A covenant full of grace. A covenant full of hope for people who were hopeless. Because nothing by ourselves could redeem us. Christ comes. He breaks his body. For our sake. So if you have the bread. Let us remember that hope. That we hear in these words. This is my body. Which is broken for you. So that you would be brought back. And healed. This is my body which is broken for you. The sheep that have been scattered. This is my body which is broken for you. The remnant in a hopeless world. Take and eat. You then come to this cup. But Jesus says, this is the cup of of the new covenant, the cup of my blood that is shed for you. That by this cup, you would be renewed. You would be covered and washed. It's hopeless. I I can't stop sinning. There's hope in the one who knew no sin. The one who knew no sin but became sin so that those of us who were sinners might be counted as righteous ones and so can come before the glory of our God and enter into those latter days. All ours by his blood. What glorious news we have. And so Jesus prays and says this is the cup of the new covenant. As often as you drink this, often as you eat this, Declare my gospel. So let us drink. So let's stand. And I want to read these few verses from Revelation before the worship team leads us in this blessing as we sing to one another the promises of God. John says this in Revelation chapter 7. Behold, a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages. Standing before the throne, before the Lamb. Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God. Who sits upon the throne and to the lamb. And the angels were standing around the thrones and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their face before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. He is our blessing 
He is our hope in hopeless times.
his blessing be upon you. It's all in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And in preparation for the jam lock, and if everybody would stack their own chairs, that would be fabulous. They all need to come down. <laughs>